This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, Thanks again for joining us. This is the Evidence for Faith radio show. This is the show where you get to hear the evidences for Christianity and the Christian worldview and the benefits that it brings to people's lives. Hello, I'm Keith Kendricks. Hello, I'm Kirk Hastings. If you're listening to us in southern New Jersey, you can hear us on 1020 AM, or you can hear us live on WIBG.com, streaming live. Or you could also hear us at evidenceforfaith.com on the podcast section of the website, evidence4faith.com. You can listen to us on your iPhone through the Radiolicious app by logging into WIBG. And finally, you can find us on iTunes. Well, Kirk, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about how to think logically, how to think critically, and about a study that came out about the poor performance of our college students. Oh, boy. Yeah, not too good, but we'll get to that. First, a little bit of news. There was an archaeological article that came out that I was sent, and I thought I would print it out and go over it a little bit for the show. I printed it out, and you wouldn't believe it. It was 26 pages long. So I read it. It was a little bit too technical for the show, but I'll just summarize what it is is some archaeologists have gone over the information at a town called Hazor, which was a town that was destroyed during the Israelite invasion of Canaan under the command of Joshua, according to Joshua chapter 11. And there's really been two positions about when this event took place. One is that it happened in the 15th century BC, that's the early view. And then there's a later view that says that it happened in the 13th century. So there's been a big argument about that. But it turns out that the evidence that they found at Hazor looks like it's supporting the 15th century B.C. view because they found new evidence that there was actually a destruction of the city there. So when Joshua and the Israelites came through, they destroyed Hazor, Jericho, and Ai, and it was thought that Hazor was destroyed in the 13th century and not the 15th century, so it seemed to contradict the biblical story. But now they've found that there are actually two layers of destruction, one in the 15th century and another second destruction in the 13th century. So that's that story. And so again, some more confirmation that the biblical history of Joshua and the Israelites invading the land of Canaan turns out to be true. And now historically you've got accurate. Exactly. And you found something that's very interesting, too. Yes, there's been another interesting story this past week on the news. Some of the listeners may have already seen this, but the article is that they may have found Zechariah's tomb 
Zechariah, of course, is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Not minor because he's unimportant, but because he's one of the shorter books of the Old Testament. They have found a church. They've unearthed a church that they believe was built over Zechariah's tomb, which is something they often did in the Middle Ages. They would build churches on sacred spots. It says here, Israeli archaeologists unveiled on Wednesday, that's last Wednesday, the remnants of a newly discovered Byzantine-era church they strongly suspect is concealing the tomb of the biblical prophet Zechariah. The church, it says, with intricate and well-preserved mosaic floors was discovered on the slopes of the Judean hills, the site of a Jewish community in Roman times just southwest of Jerusalem. Underneath is a second layer of mosaics dating from the Roman period with a cave complex still further below, which archaeologists think could be Zechariah's tomb. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And it goes on to say that uh, if they're going to do further research on this, and if they can absolutely verify this, they say that this discovery is very extraordinary and of great importance in terms of research, religion, and tourism to the area. Cool. That's exciting. That's exciting. Another reason to go and visit Jerusalem, right? Yep. All right. Well, we have a quote of the day today. This one is from J.I. Packer. Many people know who he is. J.I. Packer said, We are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life, blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. That is from the theologian J.I. Packer. Wow. Okay, let's see. We have a couple of emails that we got from listeners. One is from an atheist. It's a short one. It's nice. So I thought I'd just read his email. He says he was referring to one of our recent shows, and he quotes a couple of lines from the show. So I'll just read the lines where it looks like it was me talking at the time, and I said, the definition of atheism shows how illogical it really is. It's irrational to assert a universal negative. You assert there is no God. You're making a claim which can't possibly be known. It is impossible to know a universal negative. So to assert that is irrational. Rationally, you can only say, I don't know if there is a God. Okay. So that's my quote. Sounds pretty straightforward. Right. And it's actually one of the reasons why very few atheists will argue that they are, in fact, atheists. That is, that they know that there is no God. And it's because of that reason. Right. So then this is from Giles. Giles says... Using your definition of atheist and agnostic, are you an atheist in regards to Zeus? What is your position on the existence of Zeus? (laughs) There is no Zeus? Is this a universal negative? Is it irrational? If you say that there is insufficient or no evidence for Zeus, then by your definition, you are an agnostic and you are leaving the door open to the possibility of Zeus. (laughs) I.e. to the existence of all passing past and future supernatural entities ever expressed or thought. I look forward to you stating, I don't know if there is a Zeus. (laughs) Okay, so that's a good question, very honest question, and 
perfectly reasonable question. So the mistake he's making is about the concept of what a universal negative is. So the answer is that he, in, in a sense, he's on sort of on the right track. If it was a universal negative, then you couldn't deny it. But in fact, asserting that Zeus does not exist is not a universal negative. It's a particular negative because you're saying a particular God, this particular entity. In like manner, you could argue that the God of the Bible doesn't exist and your proof would be or your evidence would be maybe you can prove that the Bible isn't true. So if you could do that, then you would have evidence that the God of the Bible doesn't exist. That would be a particular negative. But to, to say that there are no gods, that is a universal negative, and that could never be known. So I think, is that straightforward? Yeah, sounds reasonable to me. So I continued on, let's see, therefore it can be asserted without being irrational. We do this all the time, such as there is no coffee in my cup. Right? There's no coffee. Right. You know, it's a negative, and yet I can prove that there is no coffee in my cup. So it's not true that you can't prove a negative. There is evidence for Zeus, I go on to say. In other words, stories told about him, right? That wouldn't be proof, but it would be evidence. So it's just not very good evidence, and no. it's disproved by the evidence against, such as when you go to the top of Mount Olympus, there is nobody there. I evidence also heard it. I also heard it argued once, which I thought was reasonable, that the stories, if you're going to take, like, for instance, the gods of the ancient Greeks, if you take those stories, there are no particular details in those stories as to when those events happened or who they happened to or, you know, what right, date they happened. One, they're very yeah. nonspecific. Whereas, Once upon a time stories. Right, basically, yes. But the Bible is very specific about s certain people at certain places at certain times encountered the God Jehovah or Yahweh or whatever, Jesus, and that those details exactly. are very historically specific. And because they're specific, we can gather evidence as to whether those details are historically believable or not. You can't right. do that with the Greek gods because there's no specifics to prove or disprove about them. Right. Yep. So it's verifiable, and you can check it out, and it's one of the advantages of Christianity is that you can do that. Right. Okay, let's see. There was another email we had. This is from Delmont, and Delmont sent us a really nice—he liked, apparently, the— one we did, the show we did on religious liberty. So he sent two quotes from a couple of people. One is Patrick Henry, and another is from a man by the name of Rabbi Daniel Lappin from apparently a speech that he gave in 1999. Well, the speech is a little bit too long to read on the air, but I do want to read a couple of paragraphs from it because I thought it was very informative. So Delmont says, don't forget Patrick Henry's comment, and here's the quote, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians, not on religions but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. So that's from Patrick Henry. Wow. Now there's another, and I think I sent, Kirk, I sent you a copy of this too, but I probably didn't highlight the paragraphs I thought were important for you. But let me just read a few this is from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who at the bottom of it, looks like this was published by Knight Ritter, Tribune News Service. It says that he was a Orthodox leader of a Jewish synagogue in, 
Venice, California. Okay, Venice, California. Yep. So here's what he says. As an Orthodox rabbi, I can state with neither equivocation nor trepidation that America is a nation founded by believing Christians and based upon broad Judeo-Christian principles. On July 4, 1776, there was no debate among our founding fathers over the phrase endowed by their creator. Then he goes on later, there's a paragraph that says, the only way to judge Christian politicians and religious Christians is by their actions. Jews should not only accept the basic Christian nature of this nation, but thank God for it. Jews have never been welcomed anywhere as we are welcomed here, and it is only the religiosity of Christian Americans that can ensure this warm welcome continues. Wow. And then further on, there's another paragraph that says, I wholeheartedly believe that the joyous serenity of living as an American Jew is safe not because of governmental secularism, but only for as long as most Americans continue to subscribe to that biblical belief. It is only due to this belief on the part of so many Americans that I could easily imagine any anti-Semitic governmental decree being widely flouted by a majority of Americans. Hmm. Another great quote. And then finally, at the end,